as you guys know, we've been going through First Peter, and um, it's been a, I think it's been a blessing. One of the things in uh, in First Peter one, where uh, Peter starts kind of like giving instructions, setting the the playing field, I guess, for what he's going to be talking about. One of the things he says in one uh, six, he says. In this you rejoice, through now for a little while if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes through it is tested by fire, may be found uh, to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, so I think kind of like uh, Peter is setting a a goal, something to look forward to as he starts teaching and, and wrote this letter to the church. But I think as we've seen throughout the different uh, teachings that we've had so far, we get there, now we're in chapter 3, and uh, uh, the passage I'll be talking out of uh, 3, 8 through 17, but those that know me, you guys, uh, uh, one of the things Jane said to me this morning, he goes, Ray, you going to focus on one word? I'm like, yeah. I love word studies. So, uh, there's a very uh, particular word that goes in, in what he said in the beginning. Uh, for, so let's read First uh, Peter 3, 8 uh, through 17. Uh, it says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you are called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whosoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your heart, honor Christ, the Lord, as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks uh, ask you for the reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it in gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, uh, than for doing evil. So one of the things that I, again, I, I love words, just definition of words that have always interested me. And I love going back to the original and just breaking them down. So, I, again, as, as I was reading the passage, the word finally, and I know it's a small word, but that one struck out. The word finally uh, is, is the Greek word telos, which is, uh, uh, telos is, is used to indicate an outcome. And it's kind of like Peter set the standard or set the goal in the beginning. Now he says finally. You know, uh, uh, it's, uh, it, it, the definition again is an ultimate, uh, to have an, an object or an aim, something to shoot for, something to uh, go towards, you know, is the end, the limit. To where we're headed, and it's kind of like uh, Peter is kind of like saying, "Hey, by the way, we're getting there." He goes, "Finally, tell us." You know, that's what we get words for, like like telephone. 
you know, which is tele-distance phone, you know, uh, voice, and that's where we get words like that. So it, it's a means that you're getting somewhere. One of the things that I found peculiar as well, if you remember Christ in, um, at the end of his, of his ministry, uh, in first, first, I mean, in John 19.30, when he's in the cross, one of the things that he says, he says, it is finished. You know, but the word there is tetalistai. The root word for that word is tell us. So he was presenting the end of his goal. You know, one of the things that, as the way that word was used, when John uh, wrote that word, the word tetalistai was a, uh, a business term. It was what was stamped, kind of like paid in full when you see in the receipts. I know my brother here is an accountant, you know. Uh, and I go back years when we used to have a business and you used to put a, a rubber stamp on it and used to mark stuff. Nowadays, probably done differently. But, you know, and that's kind of like what Jesus is doing. He's stamping the debt that we had. There was an end and he just approached it. And that's kind of like the, the same mentality, I, I believe, that um, Peter is, is, is bringing us here. You know, that, that just like for the Greek hearer who wrote John's, who, who read John's letter, understood what it meant, the term tetalestai. And I think the same thing with, with us, as, 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 uh, or the thing, as Peter, as he writes, he writes, tell us, hey, I'm coming to an end. This is the gold where I want to bring you. And, and what I read at the beginning of, of First Peter, uh, he's saying, hey, there's a goal, there's an end to where we're going. You know, our Christian life is not just, the salvation of, of our soul is not just the end of our Christian walk. You know, remember Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And also, it's not, he's not, he, he's also the door. You know, it is very sad to see uh, churches or, or, or people stay at the door. If I invite you to my house, you know, and all you want to do is stay at the door, you're going to miss out. You know, fellowship, food, friendship. You're going to miss out. The same thing many times as Christian, we focus on the salvation of our soul, which is important, obviously. I think most of us have come to Christ because of that. We want to be saved. We want to know him as our Lord and Savior. But he's more than that. And I think that's what uh, Peter is focusing here. He's saying, tell us, finally. As we spoke, remember, he's already been speaking to the... Uh, um, um, to the congregation, to the people. He talked about we are a royal priesthood. He talked about we are a chosen race, a holy nation, a people of his possession. His people, we're God's people. So then he goes and he talks about uh, being subject to authority. He addresses the servant. He addresses each and every one of us. Then he goes and speaks to the wife, which Mark did a great job last week on talking about that, on, on, on the whole idea of submission. What does that look like? And then he goes and speaks to the husband. You know, he goes and he tells the husband, hey, live with your wife in an understanding way. Learn what makes her tick. Know her. Study her. You know, so he goes and he's touching each uh, aspect of, of a family. But now I think he, he kind of like zooms out. You know, he zooms in to, the, to, to different specific people. He zooms in to talk to the husband and wife relation. Now he's zooming back out, talking to the congregation again. So as I said, he started with, you know, with finally, tell us. You know, the, the way the word was used uh, by philosophers, they would say that, uh, you know, the way they explain the word tell us is the purpose of an eye is to see. You know, or the, or the purpose of a knife is to cut. 
you know, that's the way they explain the term telos. It's, it, you're, you get a starting point, but you also have an end. As I said before, when Jesus finished, he said, hey, it, it is done. It is paid for. There was an end. You know, and I think the same thing here as he is talking to us. You know, I'll go a little further than that. You know, the, the purpose of a savior is to save. You know, the purpose of a redeemer is to redeem. The purpose of a loving father is to love. And I, and I think that's the thing that as Christians now, um, Peter wants us to understand our purpose, our goal. What is this whole Christian living for? You know, do we just do it to... You know, because it's a good thing to do, or do we do it because it's a calling, or, or why do we do this? And I think that's what he's going to explain now. You know, so again, he's given instructions to the body, to, to, to the people, to the church now. You know, he's given a general instruction, and, and he starts with, with, with finally, you know, understand this is what we had, this is what we had it. And he starts with in verse, hold on, let me open up the passage. There, but I moved it. Again, finally, all of you have unity of mind. So I think as a church, as a body, we gotta have that unity of mind. You know, and, and that's one of the things he says, finally, you want to get to where Christ wants you to be. One of the things that we must do is to have that unity of mind. To have that um that har- the word is to, to be in harmony, to be harmonious. I remember I was years ago, uh, I was in band. I used to play the tuba, believe it or not. And I was the best tuba player in my school. Okay, I was also the only tuba player in my school, but nonetheless, I was the best. I remember being in junior high, I was, I was uh, in seventh grade, and the band teacher, I used to play, the, I started playing the trumpet, but the band teacher asked, who wants to play the tuba? I'm like, uh, but then he said, you'll be able to play with the senior band. I'm like, that meant more practice. That meant it got me out of class. Therefore, I said, I'll do it. But one of the interesting parts about being in a band is that as everybody's warming up or tweaking or tuning their, their, their instruments, there's a lot of noise. You know, it's not har- harmonious. And if you guys come early as we're setting up uh, for Sunday service, as we come over, we're setting up, you'll hear, you know, the, the, the worship... Uh, Practicing, they're tuning their guitar, they're doing something to the piano, they're comparing notes, and we're moving things around, so there's a lot of noise. But just like in band, as soon I remember as the as the conductor would tap the, the stand with a little stick, you know, everybody knew we had to pay attention. I remember when we did a concert or anything, there were there were there were two taps. One tap was all right, get ready. So everybody sat up, everybody put their instruments where needed to be, everybody starts stop tweaking or practicing. We all sat up and then the next the next half meant we're gonna start. And then he would start with his hand and the sound, not just the sound, the harmony of many instruments instruments will start. And I think that's what Peter's referring to here. We are many. Uh, the Bible says that we are there are many members in a body. You know, and, and all of us are so different. You know, we have a different background, different races, different everything. Male, female, you know, tall, short we got Spanish, we got black, we got whites, we got everything in our congregation. You know, but it, we still are able to get to that place where he calls us for to be, to have a unity. Not to sound like a noisy uh, crowd, but to sound harmonious. 
You know, and I think that, again, Peter makes sure that we understand that having uh, uh, the, uh, this unity of mind, you know, to be able to get to that place where we are pleasing to hear. And there's a song that says, let my, uh, let it be a sweet, sweet savior to your ear, or something like that the song says. You know, that as we pray to God, I think as, as we pray, as we, as we sing as a congregation, that it may be a sweet tasting melody to God. Not because we know how to sing. You know, I wish I knew how to sing. I remember the kids were young and I used to wake them up with uh, Amazing Grace. One of my favorite hymns. I just can't sing it. But I used to wake them up like that and it was horrible sound. But to me, I sound good. You know, but, but that, that it's not because we sound good that God is pleased with our worship. I think God is pleased with our worship when we come to him in harmony, when we come to him in unity of mind. You remember when Jesus uh, prayed for his disciples at the end of his, of his, of his walk. You know, he didn't pray, God, allow them to know your Bible. He didn't pray, I'm allowing them to know the latest theological uh, uh, issue. Allow them to know church history. Allow them to, you know, he didn't pray that. Allow them to have big buildings. You know, allow them to be a, a you know, a well-known congregation. Well-known people, he didn't pray that for them. If you go to uh, uh, John 17, 20 to 23, uh, this is what Jesus says. He says, I do not ask, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their words. That's us, by the way. You know, he was praying for his disciples, but he was also praying for us. Isn't that a cool thing? To know that Jesus Christ prayed for us. You know, that, that's good. You know, one of the things that I, that I, a little parenthesis, one of the things that I know and I notice about prayer, that it, they don't just fall to the ground. You know, sometimes we think, oh, prayers aren't working because we don't see the result right away. I remember seeing my mom pray for things and they happened. Uh, in my early, when we first got married with Jane, I was in a, in a very rebellious streak. I remember talking to my mother and my mother-in-law, both Christian women, both godly women, and telling them, I'm going to prove to you I could do it without God. It was some sad years. You know, but they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, and here I am. I remember my mother prayed for my for my sister. Her, uh, she had a boyfriend that my mom didn't quite like the guy. You know, something about him, my mom just wasn't sure. And he prayed that they would break up, that God's will would be done. And the guy got into a motorcycle accident and died. I'm not saying my mom killed him for his prayers, please don't. But the thing is, you know, we think that prayers are just uh, words that we say, but the, I mean, just and the thing is, Jesus prayed for us back then. He prayed for his for us, those that were going to believe, those of us who have believed now because of their words. That's his prayer. We keep reading in twenty one. It says that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So when Jesus prayed for his disciples and for us. He prayed that we would be one. He prayed for the unity of heart, for the unity of mind. You know, there's so many things he could have prayed for us. I mean, when we go to prayer, we usually have a, a shopping list of things we want to pray for. You know? I mean, think about it. I don't know if you ever had to do like a pep talk or, or you've got a team and you've got to give a speech and stuff. You're thinking, what can I tell this team? 
And that's kind of like what Jesus says. What can I pray for these guys for? You know, what, are they, what is going to carry them once I'm gone? And he chooses to pray for unity. He says that they may be one, Father, as you and I are one. And the same thing that uh, uh, Peter is, is referring to here. You know, that we, as a body, as a church, may have the unity of mind. You know, one of the things, uh, Jane and I are involved in a ministry is called Wit Ministries. And we have people from all over the country. We have people from di different backgrounds. We have uh, Anabaptists, Pentecostals. Uh, we have, uh, again, non-denominational churches. We have all different kind of people. But we get together to minister to people and we are united. Because what unites us is not our theological bent. What unites us is Christ. And what will unite us is that Jesus Christ is King, that He is our Lord. And that's what Peter's saying. You know, I think to have that unity of mind is to have that one thing in mind. Jesus Christ, Lord of all. And I think as a church, that's one of the things that God is calling us to. Okay, and we all might think differently, whether it be politically, sociologically, and all these other things that nowadays divide many of us. But what Peter's calling us, I don't think Peter was telling the congregation, hey guys, all you guys have to vote the same. All you guys have to educate your kids the same. All you guys have to dress the same. No. The same thing as Jesus. I don't think that's what Jesus meant when he prayed for them to be one. So as a congregation, I think that we also need to have that unity of mind. You know, we have one goal, and that is to make Christ, um, to make Christ known, to preach him, to present him as a body. And as we are united in that belief, the, uh, uh, first John's, I mean, John said, says, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The reason why we need to have that unity of mind is not so that we will get along and you know, it feels nice when we get together. I think it goes beyond that. It is so that others may believe also. You know, one of my favorite verses, Matthew 5, 16, says, let your lights so shine before men that they will see your good works and say what a great guy you are. No. It says, let your lights so shine before men that they will see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And that's what the unity that he's calling us for, that we may glorify God. Not that uh, Church of the Vine may be known. Not that Church of the Vine may grow. You know, not that we may be well known in the community. But is that others may come to know Christ. And that's the goal. And that's one of the things that uh, Peter is referring to. Have the unity of mind. When you come together, you know, put those things that might separate you, that might divide you, but remember your one purpose. Come together and be united. Because that's his will. And then he goes and he says, uh, uh, to have sympathy. You know, what is the whole sympathy thing? You know, sympathy talks about uh, feeling with another person. It is very, uh, I think it takes a lot of emotional intelligence, a lot of emotional strength to learn how to do that, to feel with others what they're feeling. You know, if you look at Romans 12, 15, it says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. I think weeping with those who weep sometimes is easier. 
And now, because if someone is suffering, someone died, someone's going through a difficult moment, you know, it, it, I think it's, it, at least for me, it has been easier to come alongside of them and sometimes even cry for people. My kids are always asking me when something's going to happen. Go, Dad, did you cry? Or, Dad, are you crying? I'm a crier, you know? I know I'm big, I know I'm a construction guy, I've always been an iron worker. You know, I could say that I'm strong, but I'm still a crier. And, and, and it's become handy because God says, cry with those who cry. As we minister to people, that you'll be able to get uh, into their emotional state of being. Because that's what promotes fellowship. And as we're able to come along, so I remember years ago, one of our uh, uh, close friends of ours lost their baby. And for those that know me for a little bit, you know that I'm a talker. We get together, I love talking, I, like, I love conversations, so that, that's me. If you ever see Ali and I, be careful because we're going to talk your ears off. But I remember I sat next to this guy who had just lost a baby, and it wasn't a miscarriage. We've had six miscarriages, and they are painful. But they lost their baby stillborn. Full nine-month pregnancy, beautiful baby girl. Last day, she went for her checkup, no heartbeat, rushed her to the hospital, the baby was dead. I remember sitting next to him, not saying anything. And I think that's what Peter's calling us, to have that sympathy with people. Learn to weep with those who are weeping. Again, in my opinion, I think that's easier. We, I think for, it doesn't matter how hard-hearted we are. Someone dies, we tend to say, oh, wow. Someone's having a bad day, we tend to say, man, you know, it'll get better. We tend to have sympathy. But what about rejoice with others who rejoice? I think that's a little harder. You know why? Because that's where envy kicks in. And I have to confess, I, uh, Eric sent me a picture of their fishing trip. And they, Wes caught this. I thought he would just, that's what he named it, a, a, king, a king salmon. I thought he said king because it was that big. The fish is almost as big as the young man. So I couldn't rejoice. I'm like, what? I'm 52 years old. I've been fishing for about 30, eh, 30, 35 years. And I've never caught anything that looks like that. So for me to rejoice with him for what he caught was a little difficult. When I go fishing, I come back. I'm not sure if I come back with because I don't. I get a lot of bug bites. That should be go here locally. And I remember last time I went fishing down in Florida. I mean, I packed my fishing rod, um, the, the tackle box. I got everything. Uh, I found this nice place. It, it, it's isolated. It's a great place to be. I sat down. I'm fishing. I'm not catching anything. So you bring it back in. Maybe it was the wrong lure. Maybe it was the wrong bait. So I'm just doing this and that. But in one of those, I throw. And instead of my, just the real goat, I lost the top part of the, of the rod. It wasn't connected. I lost. So when I go fishing, and I couldn't get it back. So when I come fish, go fishing, I come back with less. <laughs> Not with more like he did. So it, sometimes it's hard for us to rejoice with those that are rejoicing. You know, when your buddy gets a promotion at work, and you know how hard you work for that promotion, what's your response? You know? Friends of ours, they have this beautiful house with an in-ground pool. But he just bought a beach house. 
I'm like, man, you already have a nice house. They had a lake house, but they wanted a beach house. They sold the lake house for like three times what they bought it for. Then they went down and bought a beach house. There's not a small house. It's a pretty big house. So are you going to rejoice with him at that time? Or do you let that greed monster creep in? Do you let, you know, uh, uh, jealousy, envy kick in? And I think that's what it talks about being, have sympathy, to feel with others. To be able to rejoice with those that are rejoicing. To be able to mourn with those that are mourning. To be able to come alongside, you know, next to someone and celebrate when they get that promotion. You know, celebrate when they get the new car. Celebrate when their relationship is going well. And also come alongside others when their relationship is failing. When maybe they got fired or their old car finally gave up. And I think that's what sympathy, I think as a church, that we may learn uh, uh, how to be sympathetic to others. You know, I think one of the, there's two words, sympathy and empathy. Sympathy would feel the same. Empathy, I think it was. You, you, it's kind of like you come to a hole and the person's in the hole. You say, wow, it must be tough being in there. You know, but to be able to get in the hole and tell someone, wow, it's really tough. And I think that's what God is calling us to do, to get in the hole with people when they're rejoicing or when they're hurting. And as a body and, a, and as a church, that we may be sympathetic with one another. You know that, uh, I know that we have the, the, the different uh, communication apps and stuff to just throw a text or, or, or a prayer request. Hey, I need help. Hey, this is happening in my life. You know, just to have someone reach out to you and say, I'm praying for you, brother. Or you need a hand, I'll be there. You know, hey, I, I hear you. I feel you. And I think that's one of the things that as a church, the unity, I think, will lead us to that sympathy, to be able to be sympathetic with one another. And then he goes on to say, uh, sympathy, he talks about brotherly love. Um, to have brotherly love, you know, one of the things in, in, in brotherly love, one of the questions that I ask you is, are you a giver or a taker? When you have a relationship with a brother, with a sister, even with your spouse or your kids, are you a giver or are you a taker? You know, uh, Jane and I, we work with couples, and that's one of the questions we always ask. Uh, how are you uh, in your relationship? Do you go and you take from your spouse or you go and you give? And the same thing with us as a body of Christ. When you enter your community, when you enter your group, do people see you as, oh, the one who is going to take or the one who is going to give? Brotherly love. The Bible says that love gives. Remember uh, John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no man than this, that someone laid down his life for his friend. That as a body, that as a church, we may come alongside others and be willing to lay down our lives for them. What can I do to help you? I remember years ago, one of our friends were, were going to get married. And we had to do all the preparations and shopping and all that stuff that we had to do. And it happened to be that the day that they chose to go do all the shopping and all the running around was February 17th. Which happens to be my birthday. So birthdays in my family, and, and, and you know, it, we're, we're, are a big deal. So we want that's our special day, you know. But I remember I had to choose. What do I do? Do I tell them no, I can't? Or I you, I'll go with you guys. But I remember when they found out that it was my birthday, they were so uh, grateful because I, I think this was I was able to give. You know, are you willing to let go of that special day, that special time that you have? One of the things I tell people all the time: call me when you can. My phone's always on. 
and I've gotten calls at all time of the night. You know? So, and that's part of the brotherly love. Are you willing to spend yourself for others? First, Second Corinthians 12, 15, Paul writes, I will also, and I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, and I to be loved less. Now that's a principle that these guys knew about. When Jesus came, he says, I didn't come to serve. You know, you're standing before the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and Jesus did not come to serve. Jesus says, I've not come to serve. He says, I've come to. He says, I'm not, I did not come not to be served. To, I did not come to be served. I came to serve. And if you look at Jesus' life, I mean, for him to get on his knees and wash the feet of his disciples said it all. I don't think there was not even no doubt in any of those disciples that were being washed in their mind who was Lord. And that's what Paul says. I would rather spend myself for you. I would rather waste myself for you. And that's what uh, Peter is saying. Peter is saying, have that brotherly love. You know, have that tender heart towards one another. Learn to wait to spend yourself on others. Physically, emotionally, financially, time. There's so much we could give. And as a church, that we may learn to give to one another. You know, someone's getting married. All right, what do you need? You know, uh, we've had uh, uh, the food... Uh, I don't know what we call it, food train or meal train, whatever we call it. You know, someone is sick and they need a dish. Someone just gave birth and need a dish. You know, we feed them. We feed them. We feed them. You know, and that's what, and that's what it's about. To be able to, as a church, come alongside others and because of our brotherly love, to be givers. To invest in the lives of others. One of the things my father did, and I remember him, <clears throat> my father wasn't a rich man. You know, he, he was all right. He wasn't rich. He wasn't poor. But he, we lived comfortably. You know, one of the things that my father had always uh, taught me to do, he goes, Ray, I always adopted a poor family in the church. He was always looking for someone to invest in. And I think as Christians that we may do the same thing, that we may find someone that has a need and that we may be able to provide for that need. And I think that's one of the things that he's referring to. And then he also talks about uh, having a humble mind. If you remember in Philippians, <clears throat> Paul writes, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of, let each of you uh, look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. But he said, But um, have this mind among yourself, which is, in, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. It says, but empty himself by taking the form of a servant. And I think that's the attitude that um, uh, Peter is referring to. That as a people, that as a congregation, that as a, as a body of Christ, that we may have the humble mind. Don't think highly of yourself more than anything. You know, uh, that's what Roman talks about. Don't think so much of yourself. One of the things I, I appreciate about our pastor is that he's just another guy. You know, I've been in, in, in different churches and different, and, and usually the preacher or the guy who's speaking have this air about them that they're a little better. You know, when Jane and I do the conferences, 
you know, we're just another person that we just happen to be up with the mic. You know, we're just another one of the crowd. I remember we went to this one church, and uh, back then I looked younger. I don't think I had as much gray hair as I have now. Uh, we walk in, you know, we're talking, and we were doing a marriage conference, and, uh, and, uh, and uh, the guy who was running the thing was there. He introduced me to this other guy. But the attitude of the other guy was like, oh, there's just another person. They didn't really pay much attention to me, which I don't mind, you know, he's busy, whatever. But the interesting part is when he realized that I was the one that I was going to do the speaking, he was like, oh, what can I get you? What do you need? What, well, what can we do for you? You know, but no, having a humility of mind, having that, that humble mind, having that humble spirit, just that you're just another person, and you don't react that way to, you know, to, to others as well. You know, and, and I think his attitude spoke volumes about him. Because it, remember when the uh, young, rich ruler, I think it was him, he says, good master. Jesus said, there's not one good. Because he's referring to him that way. He says, look, since I am very good, remember when Jesus said, one must I do to be saved? He says, I did it all. He saw himself as this great guy. That God was uh, benefiting from having him on his side. But Jesus says there's not one good. He says that because he thought he was so good. And according to his standard of goodness, he sees Jesus. He says, oh, this guy must be good because I'm good. I know what good is. But Jesus tell, knocks him off right away. He goes, there's not one good. Brings him back to the level. He goes, you really want to do it? You know what? Sell everything and give it to the poor. And then the Bible says that he walked away. And I think the humility of mind that is calling us to do that, to be able to see others from that level. You know, to be able to see others, to have that attitude among others, that yes, it is one of the things that I tell people when they're going to do a, a, a preaching or, or speaking event or something, you know, we're going to present the gospel because, you know, when I get up here, I always say, here goes nothing. Not because it's unimportant what we're doing, but because as John the Baptist said, he goes, that I may decrease so he may increase. If, if a preacher leaves the pulpit and everybody remembers him, I think we did a bad job as preachers. Because we're not here to promote ourselves. We're here to promote Christ. And that's what humility does. John the Baptist, we all know who this guy was. I mean, Jesus himself exalted him. But what has there been no greater prophet than this guy? You know? He's, he's within the, 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 the writings. But he said that I may decrease, so he may increase. And that should be our attitude with our brothers. That should be our attitude with our congregation. That should be our attitude with our kids. That should be added to what our children, with our wives, with others. That we may decrease, so they may increase. It, it, I think it's a, it's a visual where we as a church, we go with one another and we push up. We push others up. We exalt others. And I think that's what Peter is, is calling us to. That we may learn to push others. So he's kind of like, you know, he wanted to tell us, how do you treat how do you deal with Christians? How do you deal with those that, that are your friends? But now in the next part of the passage, now he goes and says, how do you deal with enemies? What is our attitude with those that hurt us? Uh, verse 9 says, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless uh, for 
To this you have you were called that you may obtain a blessing. How do you deal when people are coming against you? What do you do? Jesus wrote, or Jesus said in Luke, said, But I say to you uh, who hear, let love your enemies and do good to those that hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those that abuse you. Pray for those that abuse me? That's hard. Bless those that are cursing me? That's hard. But I think Peter just reminding us, hey guys, remember, this is what we call for. He says, finally, remember, there's a goal to be reached. You will get there. He says, please remember also, not just to be good and be nice to those that are nice to you, but what about those that curse you, those that hate you, those that are coming against you, those that are mocking you? Just bless them. Bless those who bless you, you know? I've seen uh, uh, people, I've seen women after women bless their husbands after they have been betrayed. And how they are reconciled. And I see these women not be bitter, but be better. You know, because if we follow, if we follow the, the prescription that is given in the scripture, guess what? As, as, as uh, Eric was, was uh, praying, the word does not come back void. Our, we could either walk our Christian life believing what the book says or not. But he says, bless those who curse you because that you may be blessed. But we rather bless ourselves. If you take an advantage of me, I'm going to take advantage of you. If you're making fun of me, I'm giving it right back to you. You know, and I think the attitude that we may have is, is, is different from what the world has. You know, it, it's... Um, um, there's an example of a, of a lady. She wrote a book. It's called Left to Tell. Her name is, I'm going to try to say this in English, Immaculate Ilibagiza. Yeah, she's from Rwanda. But the interesting part about this woman is that she chose forgiveness. We got to read her book. That's one of the things that we did with the kids when they were young. We, we read this book. It's about the uh, Rwanda genocide. And how, you know, they were killing one another. Neighbors were killing neighbors. Family were killing families. And this lady was saved because a missionary uh, stuffed them in a bathroom with others. Then he put an armor in front of those. So they, 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 never, got, they, she, they, they never got caught. So now she writes, and she, she writes in her book how she was, her life was spared. Her family was killed except for one of her brothers. But and, and then uh, I think it was her neighbor that, and again, and it wasn't a... A gentle killing. They used to chop them up with machetes. But this lady was had the opportunity to forgive her next door neighbor who had killed her parents. You know, and I think that it, it, I think it, it's hard to bless those who curse us. But if you hear this lady's uh, testimony, if you uh, speak to these ladies and these guys that I know that after they have been hurt, betrayed, or, or anything is done to them, they're able to love and bless. You see a radiance of Christ in them. And I think that's what Peter is calling us to. To be able to allow our light to shine before others. That they may see Christ in us. In verse 10, uh, Peter keeps writing. says, For whosoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips 
from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is, is against those who do evil. And again, it goes. It, it, it talks about receiving a a reward or recompense. A reward, because I don't know how to say the other word. Recompense. You know, English is my second language. Spanish is supposed to be my first. Well, they're both as bad. So bear with me. All right. I grew up in Queens in a mixture of English and Spanish, and I speak more Spanglish than English or Spanish. So if you hear something that's not a word, write it down and ask me later, and maybe I'll give you the definition. But, you know, it, 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 understanding that with these things, that when we have people coming against us, God said that he's on our side, you know? If we follow his guidance, God will be on our side, you know? So that's why Peter says, do not fear, you know? If something like this is happening, if someone is persecuting, if someone is making your life miserable, is there a boss or a person or a neighbor or something that making your life miserable, pray. And God's ear is open. You know? Uh, we have a remedy, a helper. One of the things that the Bible says that he will fight for us. He is our rear guard. The Bible talks about God being going before us, they, being on our side, being our rear guard. Here's our place where we stand, and he's also over us. That sounds like surrounded. You know? So when we're going through these difficult moments, and people and things just don't seem to be right because people are coming against us, trust and have no fear, he says, because God will reward. I had an opportunity a couple of years ago. We, my brother and I decided to get into the flipping business. Yeah, we're going to make money, tons of money, we said. Let's buy these houses, flip them, and sell them. So we bought a couple of houses down in Reading, Pennsylvania, which they're very inexpensive. We bought, I think, one for like 25000 another one for like maybe fifty or whatever. So we got them, we fixed them, and the deal that we made with my brother was that I, you know, I, Elijah was a little uh, younger back then, but I had Elijah, my son, my oldest son. Him and I were going to provide labor, and I had my nephew living at the same time. I said, three of us are going to provide labor, my brother's going to provide money, and and also labor. So we made this deal, blah, blah, blah. We started doing it. But then, you know, we would work, 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 work. We used to leave Saturday, Friday nights after work and come back Sunday, midnight. We just, you know, bang out all the work during the weekend. But it got to a point where my brother started saying, yeah, but you're not giving me money. But I'm like, I don't have money. So our relationship got very tense. So I'm like, all right, how do I salvage this? I remember they went to my parents and explained to my parents, and it was just, it was getting ugly. I said, all right. So one of the things I spoke to Jane, we prayed about it. I said, you know what, what I'm going to do? I said, I'm going to walk away. We had finished all the construction, so now we're just waiting to sell, so I needed the money. So I said, I'm going to walk away from him. So we agreed with Jane. We prayed. We said, okay, you know, God, we understand that you take care of us. You are the one that protects us, so we're just going to let go of this potential money. We were, for the first time, we probably would have made... I don't know, 25 grand we would have made, which would have been nice to have a $25,000, you know, uh, bonus for that year. But you say, you know what? I'd rather salvage my relationship with my brother, so we're walking away from it. So I say, I told my brother, you know, you keep the houses, don't give any money, we're good. All right. During that time, I get a phone call from a work, 
and uh, this facility plan, uh, this facility planner who had been working at Helen Hayes Hospital, uh, 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 was looking for an assistant. So I get a call from a retired uh, supervisor, which was weird. He was a retired. I'm like, why is he calling me? So I pick up the call. Hey, how you doing? He goes, Hey, Ray, they're looking for you at Helen Hayes. Ed Coletti was his name. Ed Coletti is looking for you. He wants to hire you. All right, whatever. So I went to the interview. I, I, I met with them. I, I, I sat down with them. They gave me the interview. And uh, during that time, I guess my, my since this is another state agency where I work now, my boss found out. I got a call from my boss. He goes, Ray, what are you doing? I'm like, what do you mean what am I doing? He goes, I, I know you went to interview at Helen Hayes Hospital. I said, well, his name was Mr. Levin. I said, well, Mr. Levin, I need the money. I said, I, you know, I, I love my work. I love what I do. But if, and, 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 and the position was better. I wasn't looking for the position or the title. I was looking for the money. And I told him that. He said, Ray, don't do anything without talking to me. I said, Mr. Levin, aim high. That's all I said. <laughs> so I went through the interview, went through the process, and in the process, they said, Ray, I was right at the border of the mileage, because there was a limit of time of, of a mile that I could live from the facility. I was right at the border, so I qualified, but James was like, don't take that job. But this, I would have been the, uh, uh, can't think of the name, the site super. I would have ran the whole hospital in the maintenance department. So I would have been married to the job. So Jane goes, Ray, don't take the job. Don't take it, because it's just gonna, uh, it's gonna uh, tie you down with your schedule, and we do travel for the ministry, we have the kids, we're younger, she goes, don't take it. You will have the flexibility you have now, blah, blah, blah. I said, well, but we do need the money. So we said, okay, God, we pray. And my boss called me again, Ray, don't do anything, please don't make a decision when I'm talking to me. I said, again, Mr. Levin, just ain't high. So I never, you know, time goes by, next thing you know, my paycheck came in, like it normally does every two weeks, and I was surprised. I saw, look at the amount I was given. I'm like, whoa. So my boss said, I talked to people up in Albany, and they gave me a $25,000 raise from one week to another. So by walking away from that $25,000 profit that I would have made with my brother and the houses, you know, instead of getting bitter and angry, or frustrated because we didn't make that money, we said, you know what, God, we're going to trust you. And God blessed us with a $25,000 raise that I still have, obviously, you know. But, but the thing is, when we trust God and we believe what his word says and there's peace, he says, guys, I got you. He's like, I, I hear your prayers. I know your needs. I got you. Don't worry about it. Yeah, God, but you know I work hard. Yeah, God, but you know I need the money now. Come on, God, what are you doing? He says, I got you. Don't worry about it. And I think that's one of the things that, that uh, Peter is referring to. You know, as we do these things, he goes, but even as you suffer for righteousness, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled in verse 14. Don't be afraid, Ray. I got you, he said. And we, uh, we have seen God's hand. And remember uh, David also? Uh, when when uh, King uh, Saul was trying to get him? David had an opportunity to, to kill him. Many opportunities. But when they were in the cave, I think it's uh, in, in the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel uh, 24, uh, he had the opportunity when he found them in the, in the cave, those that know your word, and he went and he just cut a... a, a 
the corner of his robe, kind of like to prove to him. You see, I could have killed you if I wanted to. But the interesting part, right after he does that, the Bible says that David's heart was, was heavy. There was a conviction that came upon him. The same thing with us. Many times we'll do the right thing and we'll take the, you know, as people say, oh, take the low road instead. You know, take the high road, I mean, that they say. So, so we do things like that. But in our heart, we're still stewing with bitterness and anger and resentment. And I think that's kind of what David got heart got, got hard at that time when he felt a conviction in his heart because God says, look, I got you. You do not have to prove to your enemy anything. And that's what he said. You are blessed when you trust. You are blessed when you're not troubled when you're in the midst of, of, of problems. It is what, um, what's his name? Uh, Peter is talking about, you know. Um, and now, I think the interesting part in the next verse, um, I just lost it. So, uh, having settled this, now Peter goes on and says, but in your hearts, honor Christ. And it's kind of like there was a preparation, there was a tell us, there was a finally brothers do these things for what? Now the verse says, uh, but in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord is holy, always being prepared to, to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. So Paul, Peter says, listen, all of these things that I just spoke about as, are as a preparation to be ready. It says, always be prepared to make, to give a defense to anyone who asks. So the way we live, and, and many times we teach this passage, yeah, it is important to know our word. It is important to study the word. You know, we get the word um, apologetics. From this to give it, to give a defense of our hope is we get apologetics and it's a good things to know those things a good thing to know your word it's very important but at the same time it's also important to live the right way because that what gets us ready to give the reason not just gets us ready to give a defense for the hope that is in us but it gives us the opportunity people will ask why are you different let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works. And they'll come back and say, why are you different? Why didn't you, didn't you respond in anger? Now you're given the opportunity, now you give a reason. Now you give a defense for the hope that is in you. Now you're able to sit with someone and tell them, you know why? Because of Christ. This is where I've seen God work in my life. In our preparation as a body, in our preparation as a church, Paul says, yes, study your word. Know your word. Um, 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul writes, do your best to present yourself approved. Someone doesn't have to handle the word of truth correctly. It is important, but it is also important to have the living with it. To have this experiential knowledge of God's word not just a head knowledge but to be able to experience it bless when you are cursed unless you go through it you're not going to know about it 
And that's what Peter's calling us for. You know, that's why he says, finally, brothers, tell us, you're going to a goal. The goal in mind, or what you're going to be looking at, is to be able to present the gospel to others. You do that by knowing your position in Christ, he gave me that, being respectful to authority, knowing your role as husband and wife, knowing how to treat your brothers, knowing how to treat your enemies, you know, knowing how to respond well, so that now you are ready to give a response, to give an excuse, uh, what's the word, not an excuse, a defense, thank you, to give a defense for anyone who asks. And, the, and, the, and it continues reading from 15 on. It says, But in your hearts, honor Christ, Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for you, a reason for the hope that is in you. It says, Yet do it with gentleness and respect. I think that is important, especially nowadays with, uh, with Facebook and, and debating and all this stuff. Gentleness and respect. It is very easy to have an, an, a, a condescending attitude toward those that see things differently from us. But I think part of our, our Christian maturity is to be able to honor and respect. You know? How do you respond to these people properly? How do you respond to those accordingly? So Peter says, look, honor with gentleness and respect. Not being pushy and presumptuous and demanding for them to believe and to see things the way we see it, to believe what we believe. But he says, listen guys, the, 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 it says to give a defense for the hope, not that Jesus Christ needs a defender. The truth is the truth whether you believe it or not. You, God doesn't need us to believe in him. So he doesn't need us to defend him. He says, defend the hope that is in you. What is your word? What is your testimony? What are you going to present to a dying world for them to be able to say, you know what? There's something in you that I want. And that's what he's talking about. But when we do it, he says, do it with gentleness and respect. It is such a difficult thing to do when you're speaking to sinners how do you respond to someone who's gay and says to you my a guy tells you my boyfriend just left me and he's hurting what do you do I had that opportunity I remember thinking okay how do I respond to this guy he is in sin finally He's broken out of the sin, but he's hurting. So do I attack him for his sin? You know, and I remember I said, okay, you know what? I'm going to treat him with respect. I say, wow, I, I, I hear what you're saying. It must be hard to go through what you're going through. And I haven't had an opportunity to speak into this man's life. He called me. I didn't seek him out. He swept me out. was able to sit with him, talk to him about forgiveness, talk to him about Christ. But I was given a door to defend my hope. But because I did it with gentleness and respect, I was given an opportunity to share. 
I can't say that he saved, that he, you know, uh, I can't say that. But all I know is that I did what Christ called me to do. And I think that's the respect. And, and, and verse 16 says, Having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile you, your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. <clears throat> you know, I've had people mock me because I believe in a 2,000-year-old book. You know? I have people mock me because of the way I, I, I behave and I treat Jane. But that, that gives us an opportunity to speak more into their life. Because when they're in trouble, guess who they call? Maybe they won't call me, but they'll say maybe a Christian, I'll call a Christian. Because if we do have respect and we have a good conscience, for those, if our behavior is correct among those, then they will come back. And not because Ray or, or, or we're such good people, but because Christ. Let your lights shine before men that they will see your good works. Do what with that? Glorify your Father which is in heaven. Our ultimate goal, our telos, the end of our life should be to glorify Christ, to make Him known. That in our tombstone, it would say, Christ was known because of Him. That's our goal, and that's what Peter is telling us to do. And he, and he finishes the... Uh, yeah, 17 says, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. You know? Say it is better. Again, are we going to believe what the Bible says or not? So we have to understand that when we're suffering, the Bible says we're going through these things, it's all part of our ultimate goal to make Him known. It is better, He says. You know, Philippians 1 6, and I'll leave you guys with this, He says, and I am sure of this. Paul is standing firm in that belief. I am sure of this. That we may also say the same thing. I am sure of this. He says, that he who began the good work in you, especially when they're making fun of me, especially when they're persecuting, especially when everything is going bad, he says, that we know will bring it to completion the day of Jesus Christ. That's why uh, Peter writes, finally, tell us, hey, your goal and end is this, that the one who started the good work in you is going to perfect it. As Christians, that should be the rock that we stand on. And I think that's what Paul is, I mean, Peter is bringing us to in this passage. For us to understand that when we do things the way God wants us to do them, it gives us an opportunity to give a defense of that hope. And what is our hope? Christ. That's our hope. In 1 Peter 1.3, he wrote, Blessed be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has uh, caused us to be born again to a living hope. And that living hope is there that we may tell others about it. Amen? So remember how to treat your, your, your brothers. Remember how to treat your enemies. Remember how to live well and suffer well. And also remember to always be ready, prepared to give a defense for the hope that is in you. 
and the hope that is in us is Christ Jesus. Amen? So let's pray. Father, once again, Lord, we are so blessed, Lord, to be able to share your word, to be able to hear your word. I pray, O oh God, that your spirit, as Eric prayed, Father, that your word will not come back empty, Lord, but that it will do what it was called to do in our hearts. Father, I pray that you would uh, grant each uh, person here as they believe, Father, that assurance, as, as Paul wrote, that I am sure of this, that you who began the good work in us will perfect it. Father, I know we're not done yet, Father. So to say, Father, we're still cooking. But Lord, you will perfect us in the day of Christ. Father, I pray a blessing upon my brothers and sisters, Lord. Father, I pray that you would allow your face to shine upon them, Lord. Father, your name, Father. We are grateful for your word. Amen. 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 So, I'm going to, I had a, a, some words that I want to say before we finish as a blessing as I dismiss you today, to, uh, which is the priestly blessing. So, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord, turn his, the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.